Now, let me just say up front that when, when you talk about like a, a mission or missions, there's really only one mission, but we call it missions, uh, mission or outreach, oftentimes the, the words, especially if you've been in a church for a long time, they, they kind of feel obligatory. Um, that is, you say mission or outreach, it, it feels a bit sterile, um, and, uh, relationally detached, institutionalized, um, and, and just, just kind of impersonal, like the idea of doing mission work or idea of doing outreach as a church or as an individual sometimes feels um, a bit like maybe you feel in recycling your garbage. It's like, I got to take the bottles and the plastic bottles and the cans out and separate them out because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to recycle. We talk about mission and outreach sometimes like, oh, well, that's what we're supposed to do as a church and that's what I'm supposed to do as a Christian is reach out and mission. And it feels that it's not that personal sense of, of urgency. And, and, and what I want to say is that I, I think in the language of the New Testament and the vision of the New Testament as to what mission and outreach is, and by mission and outreach I'm talking uh, in, a, in a bit more narrow sense of mission and outreach to those who were lost, to those who don't have a relationship with the Lord, that understood properly, it is deeply personal, deeply personal. In fact, when I was when I was thinking about like what, what it was, how do I get my head around um, mission and outreach and how important it is to the to the life of the church, you know, what came to mind was the movie Saving Private Ryan. Now, listen, I've learned that if I'm going to reference a movie, it needs to be at least ten years old, because I've had people, typically young people, who have come up to me angry and upset, saying, "Pastor Dan, you ruined the end of the movie." Now, I don't want to see it because you ruined it. You're a spoiler. Well, let me tell you, this one's 17 years old, so if you haven't seen it, it's your fault. <laughs> and if you're under 18, you probably shouldn't see it anyway because the, the battle scenes are, are brutal. But if you haven't seen it, I mean, the story is, is pretty amazing. And that is, you know, you have um, Private James Ryan. He's the only one of four brothers still alive in World War II. All the other brothers have perished. One left, and he's behind enemy lines. And for whatever reason, the U.S. government, the military decides, you know what, we, we cannot handle a, a, a woman, a mother, losing all four boys in a war. So, under the leadership of Captain Miller, played by Tom Hanks, a rescue operation ensues. Uh, a team of army rangers drop behind enemy lines, risk their own lives, constant danger, to rescue this one son the boy, the only remaining boy of his mother. And that's what the whole movie is about, is finding a family member, a son of a mother. And that's, that, that movie is deeply personal. It's not obligatory, so we're going to find the family member of this mother. Now, when I think of outreach, one way of coming at this, and I think it's true to the Scripture is that what we're endeavoring to do in outreach and in mission is we are endeavoring to see God through us rescue family. Family. Brothers and sisters who have not come to faith yet, who are still lost in their sins and yet to be retrieved. Part of our eternal, eternal community. And that, of course, if you look at it that way, we're not just you know, doing outreach like we're taking out the recycle bin. We're, this is about 
finding brothers and sisters out there in the community who haven't come to faith yet. I mean, if you think about Jesus coming, he was dropped behind enemy lines of the world of devils and death and sin. Why? To retrieve, not just to retrieve, to redeem, to liberate, and recreate family. That's the substance of Ephesians 2. To make the two one new man, one community, to take strangers and aliens and make them part of God's household, part of his family. So he came to redeem, liberate, and recreate this sense of family. He was dropped behind enemy lines for personal reasons. To save people who didn't deserve it, to take the death we did deserve, and to give us fallen, death-bound people the life we didn't deserve, life with him. That's Jesus. And, and what he came to do, he, he then lays upon us as his followers, as his family, to then go ahead and do for others. In the words of John chapter 20 and verse 21, he says, As the Father has, past tense, sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father dropped me behind enemy lines to deliver people from death and sin, so I am sending you out behind enemy lines to find and to reach family. Brothers and sisters you don't know yet. Brothers and sisters who don't have faith yet. Brothers and sisters who are still wandering in the dark. Now, you're thinking, wait a second. Does that, does that square with Scripture? I want to show you that it does. And then I want to conclude with a couple of practical applications of it. Let, let me draw your attention to three different texts. I'm going to break tradition this morning, and I'm not going to stay in one text. Uh, Dan Deckard is going to go topical this morning, okay? Um, Acts 2, Acts 18, and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. And I think you see that they build on each other, and by the time you get to the end, I think you'll realize that, wow, uh, this is about God in an act of grace using us to find and rescue family. In the first case, Acts chapter 2. We looked at this passage last week. Chapter 2, in which it, it, um, it describes the, the early church, and, and you can just see community life like bubbling over, you know? They're, they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and they're selling their possessions, and they're giving things to each other because they have need, and, and they're generous, and we're told that the gospel's going forward outside into the unbelieving ancient community of, of Jerusalem, and the people are sharing their stuff in their house with joy and generosity, and then at the very end, verse 47, which is a verse we did not um, reflect on, we find an interesting statement about who's at work here. And this is just to establish, if you will, the bottom line foundational truth of all outreach and mission into our community. And that is that mission success is always God's work. The very last statement, I don't know if you picked up on it, but it's, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number. What started out as a small group of 120 people in Acts chapter 1, after the Spirit had come upon them and, and they began going out into the outside world and they were proclaiming the truth of what Christ has done and that God has offered reconciliation and forgiveness and new life to all who would trust in Christ, God began adding to their numbers. He began adding to the family. 
It's rather telling. The subject of the verb added is not the apostles, it is not Peter. It's not the apostles that added to the church. It's not Peter that added to the church. It's not the church that added to the church. It was God himself who adds family members. The church is responsible, and you and I are responsible for embodying the gospel and speaking the gospel in the community and in here. It is God's work to open the heart and do the the miracle of bringing a person to a converting faith. The church must never lose sight of this truth. In one sense, it relieves the pressure that we often feel that, that we have to close the deal, you know? I have to close the deal with my neighbor so that he actually confesses and turns to Christ. That's not my job. That's not your job. Your job and my job is to be faithful, to live out the gospel as best we can by the grace of God, and, and when given opportunity to speak the, 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 the gospel which has the power to change a person's heart, then it is God's responsibility to the, to the miraculous work of opening a heart to the truth. That is, if you will, God's the one who's making this family. He's the one who's expanding the family. It's his family, all right? That's a mission... Truth one, admission success is God's work. Listen, in terms of Fairfield, um, God's going to do the heavy lifting, not us. God's got to do the heavy lifting. He's the only one who can do it, but he does call us to be faithful. Truth number two, building on this, has to do with family. That mission is God's means, that is us reaching out, his people in whom his spirit dwells, who have the message of Christ. Mission or outreach is God's means of reaching his, God's unbelieving family. Now some of you might be going, what is he talking about? God's means of reaching his unbelieving family. Now what I'm going to say here presupposes a theological conviction. Um, a Reformed conviction. I believe it's biblical, and let me just say, I believe it with my heart, whole heart, that we have family members in Fairfield that haven't come to faith yet, and God is in the process of reaching them. They're like, where does that come from? Okay. Another very enlightening passage in the book of Acts, and, and a very telling one in terms of our understanding of how to see our community Um, is found in Acts chapter 18. Context. Paul has experienced persecution in the ancient city, Grecian city of of Corinth. Um, Persecuted, probably uh, discouraged, um, and I think fearful in light of what's said in the text I'm going to show you in a second. So here you are, the Apostle Paul, who's not only an apostle, he's a missionary. He's in this town full of idol worshipers, and he's receiving, like, opposition, kind of like dropped behind enemy lines, trying to find family members. And Jesus, in, a, like a, like a, um, in an encounter of sheer grace, just comes to him to encourage him to just keep doing the mission, keep doing this speaking, says to him, and this is a, this is a fantastic text. Um, first is at 9 and 10. Jesus himself, if you have the red letter edition, it's in red, Okay. One of the only red letter parts in the book of Acts where Jesus touches down and actually speaks in a dream. He says, listen, Paul, you're experiencing hostility and so forth. That's implied. Do not be afraid. 
but go on speaking and do not be silent. In other words, keep doing it. Don't give up. Don't back down. Don't be ashamed. Don't shrink back. And then he gives two motivational reasons why. Both beginning with the word, three-letter word, for. The first one, beginning of verse 10, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. That's the first motivational reason. And one of the main motivations for us to continue to do outreach in our neighborhoods and continue to do it in our city and so forth is because the power and the presence of Christ is with us. It's engaged and active in when we're doing this. I mean, that's I like to think of it as that, like the wind is blowing in the direction of making Christ known in the community, and as much as we're doing that, he is actively present with us. That's motivation number one. I'm with you. I'm behind you. I created the cosmos. I'm with you in this, so don't be afraid. But notice the second motivational reason, all right? The second four. The other reason why you just keep going Keep suffering. Keep dealing with the adversities. For I have, this is God speaking, Jesus himself speaking, I have many in this city who, who are my people. There's, don't give up, Paul, because you know what? There are people who are mine, who have yet to come to faith, who are still lost, who are still worshiping idols. They do not know me. And I know them by name, and you know what? Go and speak because I will bring my family members home. That's, that's the sense of the passage. Or we, we could contemporize this. And forgive me if I get a little excited on this part. All right. September 2015, God says to us, Parkway Community Church family believers, who have been placed in all kinds of different places around our city and in neighborhoods or in other cities, go on speaking and do not be silent. I'm with you. No one will attack you or harm you. God has his eternal protection around us, and when it's time to go, we go. I had someone once tell me, you know, a Christian is immortal until God takes him home. And that's true. Four, Parkway. I have many in this city who are still lost, who are still unbelieving, who are mine. They're part of my family. In other words, Paul, go out and, in a manner of speaking, don't press me on my words, but go find your brothers and sisters and tell them the truth. And you know what? I'm going to open their heart and bring them into your family. Um, What I'm presuming here is the idea of God choosing his family, just to be out there with it. I don't believe that idea of God choosing or electing is ever for the purpose of excluding or minimizing personal choice or creating a sense of us-them pride. It doesn't function that way in the Bible. Rather, it functions to humble us, to recognize we had no part in our salvation. He chose us first. It also um, protects the absolute exhaustive completion or completeness of grace. It's by grace alone. That's the only way that grace can be grace alone is if God is the one who chooses first. And third, to give us confidence. There are family members here, and they will be reached because God has so willed it to be so. And so we go forward confident that God will reach his people. 
God's main aim, and, and I suppose Fairfield could be an exception in, in all of history. God's main aim in Fairfield is not for every single one to come to a saving relationship with Christ, any more than it was in Corinth. It is God's ultimate will for everyone that he has willed to be his sons and daughters to come to him, and that will happen. Some might say, well, doesn't that kind of an idea... um, Mission. I mean, this is God's work, and, and uh, mission is God's way of reaching his unbelieving family. Doesn't that create passive Christians? It's like, well, if it's all God's job, well, then we don't really have anything to do. No. And if it, it, if it functions that way in a person's heart, they get it wrong. As I said, the whole idea is never to minimize the importance of personal responsibility or choice. And that is, again, this is the third piece of this um, that is shown in, in, in Paul's own heart, in his own approach to the whole idea of mission and outreach of taking the gospel to the unbelieving world. This is the, the third of this um, kind of building, the foundation of this, is that mission for the sake of family is worth personal sacrifice. And that, that comes to light in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. And it's been one of those verses burned in my head that I've thought about over the years that shows that the idea that God has family out there to be reached actually encourages us to work harder. Paul writes this, again, one of the last letters of his life, um, writing to his young Padawan learner, uh, Timothy. He said, therefore, instructing him, this is his own personal example, he's then handing off to his, his uh, young uh, apprentice. He says, therefore, I endure everything. All of that suffering, all the days at sea that were shipwrecked and times he was stoned and times he was flogged, all for the sake of the gospel. He says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect or the chosen or God's family out there. That they may, that they also may obtain, may obtain means they haven't found salvation yet. Salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He's saying, listen, I'm willing to risk anything. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to endure anything. I'm willing to go behind enemy lines. I'm willing to take shots. I'm willing to be stoned. I'm willing to be put on a ship that's going to wreck. All of that for the sake of what? Well, in my my own words, for, for the sake of reaching God's family. That's what he's doing. It's Genesis 1, reborn and recreated and redeemed of God creating for himself one family made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation. So here you have, just if you will, kind of a, a, and this isn't all there is to say about mission or outreach, but recognizing as, as, as Christians, this is God's work. He's the one who's doing it. Two, um, he is in the process of, through you and me, reaching our lost brothers and sisters. Reaching family, that's, that's personal. And a heart should be in, in an understanding that that is, in fact, what God is doing, um, uh, uh, create within us a longing to, you know, uh, drop me behind enemy lines. I, 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 I need to be part of this process. We don't know who they are. Only God does. But we will know who they are because they will respond to the message of the gospel. That's our confidence. That's what we are to be doing in Fairfield. Trusting that this is, in fact, what, what God is doing. Now, now, let me transition at this point and just offer you some practical um, 
implications or ways of just trying to orient your life towards this idea of mission and outreach. Because everyone in here, you know, everyone, I don't think there's any exceptions to this. Everyone, at least somewhere, has been placed in a context where you rub shoulders with unbelievers, whether it's in, the school, in a school, it's at a workplace, uh, whether it's in your neighborhood, uh, or even in your own family, maybe there's unbelievers there. So all of this applies to every, every one of us. And, and so let me offer you some tools of, 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 of approaching this that may, may help. If this is the case, that God is building a family, one, this doesn't happen overnight, but develop a mission consciousness in every area of your life. That is, think mission everywhere. Think mission everywhere. You never know whether on your soccer team or in your cubicle or in your squadron, you have family there. People who have yet to come to faith. And that God has placed you in that position to embody the gospel and if given opportunity to speak the gospel, and then God will do his miracle of saying, heart opened. And all of a sudden, a new family member comes in. That is in each and every sphere in which you live to think mission. Not just think, well, I'm going to work to, to, to make money. Indeed, you have to go to work to make money to put food on the table. But God doesn't have you there for that primary purpose. You ever think maybe he has you there to be used as an instrument of grace to bring people into an eternal community? And when you think that way, when you're thinking mission everywhere, then it tends to change your attitude towards people. You know, the boss that you think is unjust and you just hate? Well, instead of just seeing him as someone who's depriving you of a good, happy work experience, thinking of him as, it just could be that God's going to take the heart of this angry boss who looks at me, attempting to be as well-mannered and have the best possible attitude, given his tyranny in my life, to turn his heart around and turn him into a sweetheart instead of a massive sinner, you know? Just having our eyes open to that. And, and, and God has placed them in your life. Did you ever think you're in your neighborhood, God has already said, these are going to be family members of mine, and he placed you there so that you could be the conduit of grace that brings them to life? Think mission in everything. Think mission in everything. Which means, I suppose, be missional in everything. Let it pervade your, your conscious awareness of your surroundings. That also has a way, by the way, of, of curbing some of the more negative things we do. If you're mission-minded on the golf course and you shank it into somebody's window and you know, hey, I am supposed to embody the gospel, chances are you're not going to go happy Gilmore and throw your club around. Or if you're, if you're mindful of that your employees at work are watching you and something disastrous happens on the job, mindful that I am I'm an embodiment of Christ to these men who depend on me as their foreman or leader, so I'm not going to give in to my more fleshly side and start dropping the F-bombs because I am, I am mission-minded. That, that, that's what I mean, mission-minded. Number two, and this is kind of a, a derivative of this, Take personal responsibility for those God has placed 
in close proximity to your life. Take personal responsibility to those that you, God in his providence, has placed you in close proximity to. I don't believe on the last day when we stand judgment that the Lord is going to look at me, Dan Decker, and say, you know what? You didn't take responsibility for Dave Johnson in Orlando, Florida, who I didn't even know existed. No, he's, he's, there's, there will be an account given of, of, okay, what about the people I've placed in close proximity to you? Did you take responsibility to serve and love and minister and speak words to them? That's, that's one, of the, one of the most, I don't know, I, I, it's overstating it. One of the important principles I have learned in terms of, of outreach and mission is the idea that proximity implies responsibility. Proximity implies responsibility. I started thinking through that principle biblically and realized it's true. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? At least part of the lesson of that story is, is close proximity implies responsibility to love your neighbor. You know, a Jewish man's mugged, robbed, left for dead. He's there bleeding on the side of the road. Everybody else is passing by. And it's the Samaritan of all people who stops. God brought two lives together, two lives, two men who didn't even know each other. In close proximity, one in need and the other in a position to help. And that Samaritan stops, takes personal responsibility to love that man back to health. And Jesus says, that's what it means to love your neighbor. God brings people in close proximity to your life, we ought to see that it is now our responsibility to love them in very tangible ways. Um, you know, that was almost played out this, this last week on, on, on Friday. Uh, for, for those of you who don't know, my big birthday wish this year, and I would, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but uh, on thir- Thursday, Friday, I told my wife, this is my gift. I just want to hike half dome with you, you know? My wife's like, what? You want to have to have done with me? And so we did with a group of great people, some believers, some not believers. And um, you know, thinking, okay, mission-minded here and all these different people. Well, we got to the top, and we're coming back down the cables. And there was this woman who was uh, clinging to one of the uh, posts near the top. If you've never seen the cables going down half tone, it's freaky. She was holding on to it. And... Uh, and I passed her going down. I said, are you okay? And um, she said, I'm, I'm just all cramped up. And I said, well, are, are, are you going down or are you going up? And she goes, I'm still going up. I'm still going to the top. I'm like, okay. Uh, I passed her. And a bunch of people behind me passed her. And uh, much later, the, the oldest member of our team and um, a man who loves Christ, he passed her. He didn't pass her. He stopped and like I did, asked her, are you going to the top or the bottom? And um, he realized that this woman has been sitting there for probably a couple hours, like scared to death. Proximity re- implies responsibility. You know what he did? He realized in that moment that this woman needs help. So he, with the help of one other person, basically strapped himself to this woman. She had no ability, because she'd been holding onto this bar, to hold onto the cables. This guy's 69 years old, and he backs down the cables with an entire weight of her pressed up against him. It takes an hour to get down to the bottom. 
I heard a story, I'm like, wow. That, that is taking advantage of a situation in which to serve. That is to see the need to do something about it. That, that's what God has called us to do. When we see the need, you know, that proximity, and we realize there's somebody who is in need of help, and everyone around us is in need of spiritual help. They're, they're bankrupt and lost and not knowing the right from the left. And to be able to say, I, I, I need to be praying for my neighbor. I need to be serving my neighbor wherever I see a need so that I can in some way, shape, or form communicate the love of Christ. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that story plays out someday whether or not that woman who is clinging to the bar um, will end up in the new creation because someone stopped. Every one of us pass by those kinds of situations. Proximity implies responsibility. So take, don't wait for other people. Your neighbors are your neighbors. They're not mine. The people in your workplace, they're, they're your workplace people, not mine. Take ownership for the people around you. Start praying for them. And when given opportunity, serve them. If they have cancer, bring them meals or whatever else they need. And, and then pray that God will allow you to speak the life-transforming truth of the gospel. And then last, and this is more of a, a reminder to us, because people tend to fall on one side or the other, that always combine loving service with gospel speech, works and words in your approach to outreach. The liberal church of the last century, on this end, were really good at caring for the social needs of of people, homeless people, people in prisons, but they neglected the gospel message because they didn't believe it. Then you had, on the other extreme, you had the fundamentalist Christians, hyper-conservative, which loved to evangelize and tell people, you're going to hell unless you accept Christ into your heart but did very little to relieve or help the felt or physical material needs of people. Two extremes. And you look at the life of Christ, you realize those two things are slammed together. Right? He healed people. He would um, come to them in their pain, in their um, bereavement. And then at the same time, he would teach them the gospel. He would speak and he would work. Those two should never be um, cut apart. And that's part of what I love about our Parkway Tutoring Center. If you listen carefully, it is about tutoring. It is about helping kids learn. But you also heard, both through testimony and what Paulina said, is that they get to hear about Jesus. We don't simply want a humanitarian tutoring center. We want a tutoring center that cares for the, 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 the needs of children in a way that we can share with them the life-changing, eternal gospel of Jesus. Those two things together. doesn't mean you have to do them all simultaneously. It may be that you love somebody tangibly, physically, for weeks or months before given an opportunity to speak. But listen, we must speak. I know it's, it's quoted oftentimes, St. Francis of Assisi, who said something along the lines of, um, win them with the gospel, and if need be, speak. I understand what he's saying, but biblically that doesn't hold water. It just doesn't. The two have to be together. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good, what's the next word? Works. Those are tangible deeds. That they may, you know, glorify your fathers in heaven. That's the one side. We're supposed to be doing acts of love and service. 
But the other side, Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Word must be spoken so the hearts can respond in faith so their soul can be saved. Neither one can be. And, if, and I suppose if you had to have one and not the other, I'd say speak. But the best, the way Jesus showed us is life and words of deeds and a declaration of truth. So listen, Parkway, um, this is for everybody, all of us, me. I, I, God placed me in places where I have unbelievers. God's the one who does work. You know, he does heavy lifting. He's creating, gathering in his family. And there's lost ones out there. Um, and, and, and we ought to have the same kind of heart as Paul. It's like, listen, I'm willing to go after the private Ryan if he's in my community. Just keep me mission-minded. Um, keep me loving people and get, looking for opportunity to share the life-changing gospel um, because it's, 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 at the end of the day, it's about God creating a family to glorify his name. And, and I'm just... I'm asking us, is this, is this what we're passionate about? And if not, let's just confess it to the Lord and say, God, I am not passionate about this. And that means something's wrong, and I need you to change me. I need you to change me. There's, there's more than enough believers in this room that if we live this out day by day, prayerfully, in faith, and just we're faithful, um, a billion years from now, um, we will see in the new creation the evidences of the fact that we were faithful. So, um, let's just pray and ask the Lord to, um, to make this area in our church thrive. So you take a moment just to pray. Pray silently in your own heart and just, Lord, give us a heart for our community um, based in our confidence in your power at work to redeem family. So just pray with me for a moment and, and, uh, and then let's uh, close in worship. Lord, we bow before you as, as your people, part of your family. And we have our inadequacies. We have our distractions. We have areas in our hearts that are unloving, um, that need your grace to blow fresh wind, um, that you would awaken greater love in our hearts for Christ and for his people, both found and still lost. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to those around us to see the needs that we can fill and um, at the same time the need to share uh, the life-changing message of Jesus who took our place so that we could live with him. And Father, I also pray for those in this room who don't know you yet. They're not part of the family, and they know it. I pray that in these moments that you would convince them that this is true and that they would confess you as Lord. And that they would trust that you have finished the work of salvation. You have paid the price. You've paid every bit of it. And that they would trust you and come into the family this morning. Thank you, Lord, for being so good to us. Continue your work of reaching your family 
in this community, and we pray that we would be humbly faithful in that great purpose. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.